Pastor David Jones. Welcome to my sermon archives. For more audio sermons, books, blog posts, and other goodies, visit www.pastordavidwentz.com. That's spelled W-E-N-T-Z. And follow me on Facebook or LinkedIn. I pray God speaks to you as you listen. We are in the 12th week of our sermon series called The River of Life, tracing through the Bible from beginning to end. Let's start with our key verse, which is found in your bulletin. <coughs> Romans 5.8. God proves his love for us in this. While we still were sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5.8. Today is Palm Sunday. Today is also called Passion Sunday because it is the week that uh, of the Passion of Christ. Anybody see that movie, The Passion of Christ? Uh, it is the week in which Jesus not only entered into Jerusalem, but went through all of the events of Holy Week culminating in his death and his burial. And if we just skip from the celebration of Palm Sunday to the celebration of Easter, then we tend to not really know why we're celebrating. What's the big deal about Easter if you haven't gone through the Passion? So that's why, two things this morning, that's why I encourage you, if you can, to get to the Community Good Friday service. And that's why also we'll be going through more than just Palm Sunday this morning. You see, God had a problem. Adam and Eve put God in a bind. You say, how can God have a problem? God can do anything he wants to. Yes, but God limits himself. He sets things up and he has certain rules. He has certain uh, characteristics of his own nature that he will not violate. And so Adam and Eve put God in a bind. And much of what we've been going through these last months have to do with God's efforts, God's, God's moves to deal with that situation. You see, God created us to share love with him forever in the land of the river of life. In the book of Genesis, it's called the Garden of Eden. In the book of Revelation, where the river appears once again in its fullness, it's, it's the new heaven and the new earth. But it's the same river, it's basically the same Thing The one in Revelation is more or less a recreation of the one in Genesis. The part in between is all messed up and that's where we're living now. But God created us to share love with him forever in the land of the river of life. But Adam and Eve rebelled against God. They turned away from the river of life. Now, if you reject life, what's the alternative? death. In Bible words, 
Rebellion against God is called sin. And the wages of sin is death. And God's problem was you can't share love with somebody that's dead. A living person can love a dead person. God still loves us when we were dead in our sins. But God wants us to love him back. And a dead person can't love a living person. Now, let me pause here and be clear. I'm not talking about your loved ones who have died. Because the Bible says God loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, should not die, but have everlasting life. So your Christian loved ones who've gone on before you still love you more fully than they ever could here in this life because they are experiencing life more fully than we ever can in this life. But I'm getting ahead of my story. God had to find a way to deal with the consequences of sin. With the consequence of the rebellion, with the death that is the result of rejecting the river of life. He had to find a way to deal with that and yet still have us alive to share his love. So, in the Old Testament, He gave us a temporary fix. The Old Testament sacrificial system. You you commit this sin, you sacrifice this animal. You commit this sin, you, you sacrifice that animal. The Old Testament sacrificial system was a temporary fix. It was, it's like, do any of you have one of those mini spare tires on your car? Do you ever have to use it? Okay, a mini spare tire has two main functions. First, it's to help you limp through until you can get the problem fixed right. Okay, the mini spare has a top speed limit, usually I think they say 50, and a top uh, distance of like 50 miles. It's just to get you to some place where they can fix it right. And the Old Testament sacrificial system was just to limp through until the problem could be fixed right. The second function of a mini spare, because it's small and it's slow and, and it feels different when you're driving it, is to constantly remind you that you still have a problem and you can't fix it yourself and you need to get the permanent fix. The Old Testament sacrificial system was a constant reminder. Oh my goodness, I did it again. Another bull. Do you have any idea how much bulls cost? A constant reminder of sin. And that it's something we can't fix ourselves. And so God gave Israel the Old Testament sacrificial system. And of course, we've talked about how God gave the world, Israel, as an example of the blessings of following God's way and being God's people and living life according to design specifications that he's given us in the Bible. 
so that all the world would come to the Lord because they would see the example of how great it was. But the Israelites, being human beings, managed to find a way to turn the temporary fix into another problem. God's chosen people thought the temporary fix, the sacrificial system in the temple, they thought that was the permanent fix. And they thought they were the only ones allowed to use it. They thought God had chosen them, given them this special, and everybody else could just go jump in a lake. God created them to be an example so that everybody would be drawn back into God's family. But they got away from it. Even thinking they had the fix, they still got away from it. Followed other gods because their religion was more fun, didn't have all those rules. And so finally, they came to the situation where God had allowed them to be deported to Babylon, had brought them back, and we looked at the intertestamental period and the, the freedom and the different uh, oppressions and conquered by the Greeks and then the Romans and so on, and, and now in the time of Jesus, they are an oppressed people living in an occupied nation, and they were dreaming of the Messiah, the Deliverer. That God was going to sin. That's what happened on the first Palm Sunday. That's what our first reading was about. People recognizing Jesus as the Messiah. Here he is. He's the Messiah. Let's have a big parade. Wave palm branches. Put your clothes down in the dust so that the donkey can walk over your cloak and won't get dust up on the Messiah. The people were right in hailing Jesus as the Messiah. He was the Messiah. He was God's promised deliverer. But the problem was their understanding of the Messiah was very different from God's understanding. They thought the Messiah was going to be an earthly ruler who was going to kick the Romans out and restore the earthly kingdom of Israel. That was not what God had in mind. And guess what? When you think one thing and God thinks something else, guess who is always right? So that was... The temporary solution. The Old Testament sacrificial system. The permanent solution is something that theologians call substitutionary atonement. The temporary solution. The Old Testament sacrificial system was a picture of, a foreshadowing, what they call a, a type. Our second reading from the prophet Isaiah 
describes what that was looking forward to, the permanent solution, the costly solution of the one great, permanent, ultimate, all-sufficient sacrifice that did away with the need for all of the temporary, inadequate animal sacrifices. It was predicted throughout the Bible, Old Testament prophecies. The first one, right after the fall, Adam and Eve rejected God's way, thought they could do better, chose to believe the snake instead of believing God. And God came down and found it out told Adam and Eve what the consequences would be for their lives, and then he turned to the serpent, the snake, that was embodying the devil at that time. In Genesis 3.15, God spoke to the devil and he said, I will cause hostility between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Now, offspring is singular there, speaking of one particular descendant of Adam and Eve who would strike the head of the devil. That's one prophecy. That's the first one. At Christmas, we read the prophecy in Micah that says he would be born in Bethlehem. In Psalm 22, most people don't think of the Psalms as prophetic book, but listen to the first verse of Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Where did you hear that before? On the cross. Jesus said it on the cross. And as you go on through that verse, that that, uh, psalm, it's an incredible picture of what happened to Jesus. A thousand years later. My enemies surround me like a herd of bulls. My life is poured out like water. All of my bones are out of joint. My strength is dried up like sun-baked clay. My enemies surround me like a pack of dogs. They've pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They divide my garments among themselves and throw dice for my clothing. A thousand years beforehand. Depending on how you count, there are approximately, some people say 48, some people say over 450 prophecies of Jesus in the Old Testament. All fulfilled in the one person. People have tried to calculate the odds against that. And they are astronomical. One figure I saw said, one in 10 to the 157th power. That's a one with 157 zeros behind. Isaiah 53, that Bill read for us. Written 500 years before Christ. Describes God's permanent solution. 
It was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. We thought his troubles were a punishment from God for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion. Crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We've left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. As I said, in theological terms, God's permanent solution is called substitutionary atonement. What does that mean? Does anybody know the name Maximilian Kolbe? Maximilian Kolbe was a Polish priest who died as prisoner 16770 in Auschwitz, August 14th, 1941. A prisoner had escaped from the camp. And the Nazis selected ten others to be killed by starvation as a lesson not to try to escape. They selected ten at random, and one of those ten, a man named Franiszek Gajanasek, it's Polish, that's my best guess, He began to cry, my wife, my children, I'll never see them again. And Maximilian Colby, the priest, stepped forward and asked to die in his place. His request was granted. We, each one of us, deserves to die. Not just selected at random. We deserve to die because of our sins. Because heaven is perfect and God is perfect and sin is imperfect. And if it was introduced, if anything sinful was allowed to go into heaven, into God's presence, it wouldn't be perfect anymore. It wouldn't be heaven anymore. But God allowed Jesus to be our substitute. He died in my place. He died in your place. You all know the story of Passion Week. Jesus came triumphantly into the city, was hailed as the King and the Messiah, immediately went into the temple and cleansed it, threw out the money changers, Spent the week working miracles and healings and teaching the people. On Thursday, he gathered with his followers for the Last Supper, washed their feet, gave them much more teaching, especially about the Holy Spirit. He was betrayed by Judas Iscariot, one of his Chosen 12, not just a disciple, an apostle, betrayed. 
Many people think that it was an effort by Judas to force Jesus' hand to prove that he was the Messiah, to call down the angels and the powers of heaven and strike the Romans and reestablish the kingdom of Israel on earth. When Jesus didn't do that, Judas committed suicide. But it was too late to affect what happened to Jesus. He was betrayed into the hands of his enemies. He was brought before the high council. While he was in there, Peter denied him three times. Jesus was taken before the Roman governor Pilate. He was sent to the... the, uh, Tetrarch Herod, who was the ruler of Galilee, he was sent back to Pilate. Pilate tried to release him, and the crowd demanded his crucifixion. He was whipped. He was made to carry his own cross. This big, strong carpenter in the prime of life was beaten so badly that he couldn't even carry the crossbeam. He stumbled and fell and they had to get somebody else to carry it for him. He was thrown down on the ground. His hands were nailed to the crossbeam. He was roughly picked up and it was dropped into the hole. His feet nailed to the cross. The reason for that, by the way, was to make the punishment last longer and be more terrible. Because if he was just hanging, he would have quickly suffocated. But if he was able to push himself up to catch a breath and then go back down, and that required his feet being against something. And so every time he pushed himself up to take a breath, he was pushing down on the nail through his feet. And then when he sagged that down, it sagged down against the nails through his wrists. And in the midst of all of this unimaginable pain, he said, Father, forgive them. Two thieves were crucified with him. One joined in all the mockery. (laughs) He said, you're the son of God. Let's see you get yourself out of this. The other one believed him and said, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. That man may have never done anything right in his life. But on his deathbed or on his death cross, as long as he had breath in his life, conscious thought in his mind, it was not too late to turn to Jesus for mercy. I don't trust that. I don't recommend that as a model. You never know if you're going to have that chance, if you're going to be conscious for your last breath, and you lose an awful lot of blessings of this life. But we have that hope. They gambled for his clothes, which were his only earthly possessions that we know of, as predicted a thousand years earlier in Psalm 22. Hanging there in agony, Jesus looks down and sees his mother and sees John and asks John to care for his mother. Thinking about her. 
darkness came over the land for three hours. He died. Two members of the religious leaders of the high council who did not agree with the decision came and took his body and prepared it for burial. Put him in the tomb. It was sealed up. A guard was set. just to make sure nobody would steal the body and claim a resurrection that didn't happen. And his disciples, his followers, were left hiding in fear and despair. Does anybody know where the Colorado River runs into the ocean? It doesn't. Since 1998, so much water has been diverted for drinking and irrigation that the river no longer reaches its delta. The last bits of water just sink into the ground. When Jesus died on the cross, that's what happened to the river of life. It sank completely away. Now we know the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey used to say. We know that three days later it burst forth again in a geyser that puts old faithful to shame. But that's next week. As I said at the beginning, we don't want to skip from celebration to celebration without remembering why we're celebrating. So for now, let's turn our eyes back to Jesus hanging on the cross, to the disciples in despair as Jesus was buried and the tomb was sealed up. And they're hiding for their lives because if they're going to crucify the ringleader, they might crucify the rest of the gang. So what happened on that cross? On the cross, Jesus took our guilt and he replaced it with forgiveness. He took our condemnation and replaced it with justification. He took our doom and replaced it with salvation. On the cross, Jesus took our weakness and he replaced it with power. He took our pain and replaced it with healing. He took our defeat and replaced it with victory. Jesus took our desecration and replaced it with holiness. He took our penalty that was due to us under the old covenant. And he replaced it with the blessings of the new covenant. Jesus took our separation from God and he replaced it with access to God. He took our enmity with God and replaced it with peace with God. He took our spiritual homelessness and replaced it with adoption into the family of God and citizenship into God's kingdom. On the cross, Jesus took our death and gave us eternal life. I know the taxes are due this week. I know it's the time for planting and seeding and fertilizing and pruning 
I know it's a perfect time for a horse ride or a bike ride or a float or just walking in the woods. And I know there's work and school and doctor's appointments and watching the children and shopping and all the other things that take up our time. But this week, this holy week, please do one more thing. Please take some time to think about what Jesus did for you when he died on the cross. Think about what it cost our Heavenly Father to send his only begotten Son to do that. And think about how you should respond to those incredible signs of God's love and how you can share it with those who don't know it yet. Let's sing, I'm sorry, let's say our key verse. Romans 5, 8. God proves his love for us in this. While we still were sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5, 8. pray it blessed you. Again, I'm Pastor David Wentz, and for more audio sermons, books, blog posts, and other goodies, please visit www.pastordavidwentz.com. That's spelled W-E-N-T-Z. And follow me on Facebook or LinkedIn. May God bless you as we do Christianity together. See you next time.